got News Munchies with Ted Corliss, and I love to produce a cannabis-positive message in the universe. Not necessarily positive in the sense that I'd like you to smoke more of it, but instead give you an opportunity to have an intelligent conversation with others about the reformation, medicalization, and ultimate legalization of marijuana. Reach out to us at www.newsmunchies.com. You've got Ted Corliss with News Munchies. We are fewer than 75 days from the 2020 election. And today I want to raise the issue of cannabis as a voting issue. A lot of people call these kinds of issues wedge issues. My point today in speaking to you is to provide you with as much objective information so that if cannabis is a question that somehow affects how you vote, There'll be some information on this podcast that'll help you make an informed decision about that. I'm not here to tell you what to do or what to think or how to vote. I'm simply going to point out some objective criteria and factors that can give us an, some insight in the, into the differences between what would be another four years of the Trump-Pence administration or if we were to have an election where the Democrats take the White House and have President Biden and his vice presidential candidate, Harris. And I think what we want to be able to do is to look at not just what their priorities have been on this issue, but also what they're already starting to suggest, kind of forecast, they would do in the upcoming months after the election would be finalized. And so let's, let's jump right in. And I want to tell you there are a variety of issues we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the state of legalized, if I can use that word here accurately, I'm not sure I can, legalized cannabis, and what happens under federal law if, in fact, the feds wanted to start enforcing it. Then we're going to take a look at some of the people who have made up these two administrations. We have, uh, if we're looking at the current administration, we would want to look at, obviously, what is your attorney general doing with this particular issue? Because... Attorney, attorneys general can't go after everything. Cannabis is illegal in the United States. Well, so is speeding, but they don't necessarily devote resources to that. So it's a question of if we were to continue forward with the Trump administration and he were to continue to bring on additional people in power under him to make these decisions, who are the kinds of people that he is bringing in? And that, 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 that's a good way, good place to, to poke around a little bit to see what we can find out. And then if we were to say, okay, well, what about the Biden-Harris administration? What about their past on this issue? What do we know about Biden in the past, what he has done, as well as as an attorney general in California? What did she do? But then this question becomes, if, if, the, if you do have a Biden-Harris administration, they're going to be bringing with them a variety of supporters. And how, how deep is the bench on people who would support the continued modernization, legalization, and medicalization of cannabis in the United States? And so there's some good information for us to look, in, look within that. So along the way, we're going to talk about the Banking Act because it's important, not just because of how it's affecting the cannabis industry, but also, it's a political football that started getting passed around between the Democrats and the Republicans in September of 2019 because of the fact that the House passed some banking laws, but now the Senate, controlled by the Republicans, is refusing to take it up. 
So let's jump in with both feet. Let's start first talking about the current occupants of the White House. What is the state of the illegal nature of cannabis, at least under this administration? Well, it was illegal under Obama. It's illegal under Trump. And let me point out some of the things that if you if you have any doubt about the fact that cannabis is illegal, let me point out the provisions that you would have to change if you ever wanted to legalize cannabis. And there are many. The provisions of the money laundering statutes, the unlicensed money remitter statute, and the Banking Secrecy Act remain in effect with respect to marijuana-related conduct. I'm drawing this from a memorandum that actually comes directly from the Department of Justice, Office of Deputy Attorney General. Financial transactions involving proceeds generated by marijuana-related conduct can form the basis for prosecution under the money laundering statutes. And so money laundering uh, accusations could be made against any cannabis operation that, that sells uh, cannabis or, we're going to find out, includes things that are ancillary businesses to them as well. We can have uh, additional violations. It is under the sections 1956 and 1957 of Title 18, make it a criminal offense to engage in certain financial and monetary transactions with the proceeds of a specified unlawful, unlawful activity, including proceeds from marijuana-related violations of the Banking Secrecy Act. And it's important to also note, here's what I was just talking about, transactions by or through a money-transmitting business involving funds, quote, derived from marijuana-related conduct can also serve as a predicate for prosecution under 18 U.S.C. Section 1960. So here, here's that last part. If it's not so much the guys or gals who sell cannabis, what about the container that it's in? What about the building where the cannabis dispensary is located that receives rent? What about the individuals that serve as bud tenders at those particular organizations? You're, if you happen to have been unfortunate enough to be in, a, in an illegal operation selling cannabis the exact same way that you are before your state happened to have legalized it, we're talking about 33 states, have medical marijuana, or in addition to those, 33 of those 33, 11 of them have adult use. What if you work in any of those locations? If they come in and raid the place, you are a co-conspirator to an ongoing criminal enterprise. You are responsible as if you were in charge of the entire operation. That's the danger of the RICO statute. And so let's, let's be very honest about this. If you work in the cannabis industry under current federal law, you can, in fact, be arrested and likely spend the rest of your life in prison. I assume because if you make a transaction working today, somebody walks in today at 2 o'clock and orders a quarter ounce of their favorite sativa, that's one violation. The person standing behind them, six feet away, they come up and buy another quarter ounce. Well, that's two violations. And you're going to go to jail for each one of those transactions. So it's quite a mess. Well, what exactly has the Trump administration been doing with the cannabis question since they took over the presidency? Well, like everything associated with this particular president, it's pretty confusing. 
But uh, I'm going to jump back and forth between two memos. And one of them we're going to call the Cole Memo. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. I'm then going to take a peek at what we're going to call the Sessions Memo, which was supposed to get rid of the Cole Memo. But Mr. Sessions, like most of the individuals in the cabinet of this presidency, his tenure lasts about as long as ice cream. That's about how long it lasted. I, you know, you get an ice cream, you know, you take a couple of scoops out and you put it back in the freezer, come back in there three or four months and it looks like a bunch of ice crystals. So that's kind of a good metaphor for most of the people that work in the cabinet of this presidency is that Ben and Jerry's has a flavor that probably lasts longer than you'll see this individual. And that was the case with Mr. Sessions. And so what did Cole say that Sessions didn't like? When So Cole's got his memo in 2013, and Sessions got his memo in 2018 that he didn't use correcting. All right, so in summary, the Cole memo is this. Cannabis is illegal under federal law. We have dozens of states that have now legalized it. We don't have the resources. There are fewer than 5,000 DEA agents in the United States the cannabis industry, if you take a look at records, I think from last fall, I don't know what they've done now under the pandemic, but there are over 240,000 people in the United States that work in a cannabis operation. And that does not include all those ancillary auxiliary businesses associated with them. I would argue that for every individual standing working in a cannabis dispensary, there are at least five other people behind them. And that's the whole galaxy of this question of all the people that are affected by it. And so in 2013, the Obama administration, Obama-Biden administration, would want to mention, the deputy attorney general sent a memo, the Cole memo, to all of these individuals. These attorneys general, as well as the U.S. attorneys working for the Justice Department. And what they told them was, with the blessing of Eric Holder, the then attorney general, and the then president, Obama, was here are our priorities. We are not going to just simply enforce federal law against the cannabis industry. Instead, we're going to tell you that here are our touch points for that question. The first touch point is going to be we do not want cannabis to be transferred between one state where it's legal and one where it is not. And that would appear to be a balanced effect to justify them saying to the states, listen, we get it. You want to do this. It helps a lot of people uh, for both the actual consumption, but also the taxes that you're able to collect with it. But at the same time, we respect the fact that there are states that don't want to do that. And so you got to keep it within the boundaries of your own state. The other is just like in The Godfather, we don't want it sold to children. And so what you've got is we don't want to see that. And the, and the other issue, obviously, is we don't want this to be associated with other ongoing criminal enterprises, be them domestic or foreign. If you're a, a drug dealer from a, a remote country and you bring your drugs here, we're on you, even if it's cannabis. We don't care. We don't want that. And that makes that's good politics, but that's also good financial management anyway, because that that the black market or gray market associated with cannabis is a problem that they continue to deal with. Because a lot of these places, when they have issues, you know, you you find out there's a little bit too much mold in your cannabis and you can't sell it, no problem, we'll sell it out the back door. I don't know how much that happens anymore, but I know over time uh, it, it was a problem. 
And so that that's kind of what Cole said. Cole, it's it's a little bit of a gimme. You know, it kind of shrugs his shoulder. Cole Memo says, eh, you know, what do you want us to do? You know, so we're going to pick out the bad stuff and we're going to leave it alone. All right, now let's jump forward to 2018. So that's five years later. Now Jeff Sessions sends his memo January 4, 2018. And what he basically says was, uh, nerds, nerds, that's a legal expression, nerds to the Cole memo. We enforce federal law. Cannabis is illegal. It is an illegal operation. And we're going to arrest potentially all of the people up and down uh, the line, just as I had just described. And of course, he did that with the blessing of now President Trump. And so we know where Trump has been on this question. And so if we, if we take a look at who he selected as his first attorney general, and we look at Jeff Sessions, we know he's coming from Alabama. He is, uh, I guess, what uh, Mitt Romney would call an extreme conservative. I don't know. It sounds painful. It sounds very cramping. I've, I think sometimes if I ever felt like I was extremely conservative, I'd need to eat some fruit. But I think what then becomes Sessions is gone. So what exactly comes next? We Well, I think we've got at least one other attorney general uh, that came along. And then, of course, we come to Attorney General Barr. And so what about Attorney General Barr? Is there anything that he and Mr. Trump have been working on that would give us some indication as to where the the Trump administration and the Republican Party are on the issue of cannabis. Well, they apparently uh, are not big fans of the banking question. Okay, so what, what exactly is it that the Trump administration and the rest of the Republicans doing about the banking issue? Well, the... Here we are, as I mentioned, a few months from the election, and over these last couple of months, there has been the passage of something called the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S Act. I don't remember the acronym, what it stands for, but it's, it's essentially a, the relief bill associated with the coronavirus pandemic. And so the, the question is, uh, what are you guys doing with it? Why are we talking about the cannabis question within this? Well, simple. Back in September of 2019, the Democrats passed a bill uh, sponsored in part by the representative here in Colorado, Colorado Democratic Representative Ed Perlmutter. And Mr. Perlmutter's bill that he co-sponsored was attached to the bill that is the coronavirus relief. The bill that he attached is called the Safe Banking Act, the House passed it in September. It's H.R. 1595. And essentially what the bill did was it prohibited, penalized, or otherwise discouraged. Let's see. Here it is. The, we're talking about FDIC insured, which you should always bank with FDIC insured banks, unless they're investment banks, and then you need to find out how risky they are. But if you see an FDIC insured bank, what the the, the new safe harbor provisions of the Safe Banking Act say is that a federal banking regulator, so we're telling the regulators in the executive branch what they can and can't do, is we, the federal banking regulator may not prohibit, penalize, or otherwise discourage a depository institution from providing financial services to a cannabis-related 
legitimate business, and here's that ancillary business, or service provider. And the idea is right now, if you go into a cannabis dispensary, you are using cash, lots and lots of it. And those dispensaries, when they get all that cash, can't deposit it legally in a bank. And so they have to put it through a whole variety of legal and otherwise illegal mechanisms to, quote, wash it. And that has been an issue that has been around since 1996 when California became the very first state to legalize medical marijuana. What are we going to do with all this cash? And in California, some areas were seeing a dramatic increase, like fourfold increase in armed robberies because everybody knows where the money is. My wife and I had an opportunity to go out and visit a very large grow operation in San Francisco, and I've never seen so many black escalades with guys in semi-automatic assault rifles. And they just kept circling this operation because there was, they were producing so much cannabis. The amount of cash they had, it was, it was like a bad Johnny Depp movie about cocaine. I mean, it was just everywhere. They're going to start packing it in walls. Okay, well, why? Well, for this very reason, because you can't take, even if it's legal under state law, banks are regulated by the feds. And so the feds are saying, uh-uh, we, you can't use the banking industry. Is that well? Does that make a lot of sense to you? Uh, well, let's let's talk about some of the reasons why the Safe Banking Act would be a good idea. But here's the spoiler alert: Mitch McConnell and the rest of the Trump and the rest of the Republican Party was a big no on the Safe Banking Act. In fact, they kind of made fun of it. They pointed out that the Safe Banking Act uses the word cannabis or pot more often than it uses the word jobs. Although they kind of ignore the fact that 240,000 people are in the industry and they're literally selling billions of dollars of this. And where does where do you think all that tax money goes? Well, a lot of that tax money goes to the feds. Talk about taxation without representation. What about the states? I'm not making this up. You go into a cannabis dispensary and get a receipt and look down and they will tell you all the places where the taxes go. There's a state tax on most of these specific products. There's county taxes. uh, So they're paying for roads and schools. There are city taxes, which pay for police officers. And there are neighborhood taxes on cannabis dispensaries. And by the way, they're putting dispensaries in neighborhoods and employing those people with really good jobs. Okay, well, I thought Republicans were all about uh, the dollar. I mean, and not in a bad way. I'm talking about limited government, free enterprise, business proposition. That's, that's, that's good America there. That's tasty America for you. But the Republicans don't want it. So why, what are the other good things about the Safe Banking Act? Well, let's get to the point. One of the, if you notice right now, if you happen to stop by a restaurant and they let you order from the window, which they don't usually do. Uh, here in Boulder, most of the operations, I don't care if you're buying a burger, beer, or a bong, you can't buy it at the door. You got to buy it online and then you show up and it's already paid for. Well, why are they doing that? It's because our money is filthy. Not only does a lot of our money have cocaine in it and probably boogers from being up someone's nose, but it also contains germs, viruses. And so right now it would be a good idea to pass an act that says that you don't have to spend so much time dealing with money because every time you do that, you increase the risk of the coronavirus. 
And that's the reason why you can't use it in other places. So it makes it so incredibly stupid that that's the only thing you can do it in a cannabis operation. Okay, so I've already talked about it. it reduces violence. It reduces the spread of disease. It protects the flow of tax dollars. And why are we doing this? Is So we can change the regulator without changing the law. We don't have to say that cannabis is legal or illegal and go through the whole legislative process, which right now has about as much chance as, well, you fill in the blank. You know how likely it is that any real law of any value is going to be passed as divisive as our government is right now. So the Safe Banking Act was essentially passed off and, and kind of kicked out the door like a redheaded stepchild by the Republicans. They don't, they don't want it. And, uh, and that may be in large part because there, as I mentioned previously, there's so much money flowing to non-cannabis related purchases that will be redirected. And that affects a lot of things. Uh, let's just get to the point. Remember, we don't want you using your drug. We want you using my drug that I sell you and then I take a piece of. I want you to go into the the world of of liquor or what a world of beer wherever and buy their beer. I don't want and because we're going to get taxes off of that. And the people who get those taxes are not so happy about you changing your selection from a from a lovely uh, scotch to a beautiful sativa. And so that's why the Safe Banking Act is is stalled by the Republicans. And so if you get four more years of a Republican administration, there's not going to really be any reason to believe that things would change. Uh, Okay, maybe you disagree with me. Uh, I don't know why the Republicans are going to have a change of heart about the banking industry and that there are objective reasons to know that things will stay exactly where they are. Well, how would the Democrats handle it? Well, we know that the Democrats passed the Safe Banking Act in the House, and we also know that the uh, the Biden administration is now bringing in Kamala Harris. So what about Kamala Harris? She was the attorney general, and she's in, in California, and she's being, they point out, that she put a fair number of people in jail who were there according to the war on drugs. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. And so that's in terms of making a decision here, good or bad, you don't know. But I will offer this. The attorneys general of either in the state who's directly dealing with the governor in most circumstances or the attorney general of the United States, the federal attorney general is responding to the wills, the will and the whims of his benefactor. Uh, In this case, Barr is responding to his benefactor, Mr. Trump who you can decide one way or the other is good or bad. Well, what about, so is this just a Jeff Sessions thing? No, let's go back to, let's go talk a little bit about Barr. Well, so one of the things that the the attorney general is responsible for within the Department of Justice is the investigation into what is commonly referred to as antitrust activity. So it would be like this. If Let's say Pepsi gets together with Coke and they say, you know what, why don't we merge? We have 90% of the cola market, which is measured in the hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Why don't we merge into one big company? We'll call it Pepcoke or we'll call them Coxy. And now we're going to control the entire marketplace. Well, if that were to happen, there is an organization within the Department of Justice that focuses specifically 
on antitrust because that's what that is. You're competing with the marketplace. You're controlling it in a, in a very nasty way. And according to Adam Smith, that's not a good thing. We, we want to have free markets, but we have to regulate them to a certain degree. And antitrust is one of the ways we do that. They used antitrust violations to break up Ma Bell. AT&T was massive. And so it became so big when in the 70s and 80s that ultimately they went in and fractured it and created what we refer to as the baby bells. And that was the foundation of that. Microsoft fought hard and long to avoid being broken up because of the size of the organization. And I think they still do to a certain degree now. And so this antitrust division is looking for that kind of thing. They're looking for individuals or organizations that are trying to take over the marketplace, not compete within it. Why am I talking about this in the cannabis industry? Does that make any sense to you? Why would antitrust be an issue? There's 33 states. Yes, there are certain cannabis organizations that are owned on the high, you know, kind of above one organization may own cannabis operations in a couple of states. That, of course, happens. But they are heavily restricted based upon many of the current laws, you know, the financial reporting laws and where they can borrow money because they can't borrow money the same way a traditional legal operation can. Well, it turns out that Representative Barr is no friend of the cannabis industry. And what he did was he dedicated, and this is just, this number blows my mind, but the testimony in front of the House Judiciary Committee by a member of the antitrust division, John Elias, told them that the investigations that were being undertaken for all antitrust operations in 2019, this is everything. We're talking about mergers of any, any consequence, anything having to do with chips that go into computers, chips that go into dips that go into your mouth, or anything you drink, drive, or blow up has some antitrust component to it. If it's a billion-dollar industry, I'm going to tell you right now, the U.S. Department of Justice is taking a look at anything they do, especially any operation they may undertake to purchase a competitor, because that's the whole the direction of the antitrust. So why in the world would the Barr administration spend 29% of its resources on antitrust investigations of the cannabis industry? Why would he do that? Well, I'll tell you why, because I'm a lawyer and lawyers are really, really expensive. And so what the Department of Justice was doing is they were making specific requests to various cannabis operations. And then after he, they would get certain information, they would actually subpoena them to produce other information. The costs associated with these investigations are outrageous. Antitrust lawyers are very expensive and they only work for really big law firms that charge outrageous rates. And so the idea here was he was basically hassling the cannabis industry by conducting these fugazi antitrust investigations into their business operations. When in fact, as pointed out by the gentleman who testified, he said that the, you know, he points out that the cannabis businesses right now are highly fragmented and have market participates market participants in multiple states. And there is no one industry or one player in the industry, I should say, that is going to come in and take it all over. It's not going to happen. 
And so the idea that there would ever be an antitrust here is ridiculous, especially in the infancy of the marketplace. So we know that the second attorney general brought on by the current occupant of the White House is no fan of cannabis. But then let's now let's just get specifically to talking about Mr. Trump. If you're going to accept anything he says, you should do that with a pound of salt. But more importantly, what about other things that he's done outside of the cannabis question that put his loyalty to the cannabis uh, issue in question? Well, let's see. What about immigration? How would this have anything to do with immigration? Simple. If you're an immigrant, I'm telling you right now, if you have an application pending for a green card, H-1B visa, anything associated with trying to get outside the United States and getting into it as a legal immigrant, do not, do not, repeat third time, do not use cannabis because you will be drug tested and cannabis is a Schedule One drug. Well, pretty simple. Look at the application for immigrant status and if it's, it's going to ask you if you use illegal drugs and if you say yes, you're out. If your application is pending and they find out you've used it, even in states where it's legal, you can be in California, you can be in you know, Oregon, you can be in the state of Washington, you can be you, anywhere where you think it's legal. It's not. And if you're an immigrant and you use it, you're out. Well, I don't think anybody would disagree that the current occupant, Mr. Trump, is no fan of legal immigration for whatever, for any purpose. And in addition to that, uh, this was an interesting little comment that he just made. This was less than a week ago. He pointed out that he is not happy about the fact that on several of the ballots that are coming out in November, many states are moving to uh, towards adult use cannabis. And when they've done that, they have by they've done that by going to a citizen's initiative, uh, a constitutional amendment. That's how it got passed. Amendment two in Florida got passed and it passed by 71% of Floridians of the 67 counties in the state of Florida. 64 had a majority of their individual voters supporting it. But what's the problem for the Republicans on this? The problem is, is that it turns out the people, the younger people who are very pro-decriminalization and legalization of cannabis don't support the more conservative candidates that Mr. Trump wants to be uh, put into power. And so to quote him, the next time you run, please don't put marijuana on the ballot as this, at the same time you're running. You brought out like a million people that nobody ever knew were coming out. Mr. Trump is not a fan of the most votes in the box. He just wants the ones that are colored red. All right. And of course, I don't think we need to spend a whole bunch of time talking about Mike Pence. Mike Pence will not even sit down and have a meal with a woman other than his wife. Not exactly the most progressive guy you'd ever want to meet. And he was caught a couple of weeks ago mimicking a lot of the comments from Mitch McConnell, who's only a fan of cannabis in the form of hemp, that he was able to get legalized in his state for a variety of contributors of his. But he is no fan of cannabis, and Pence was out talking about the Safe Banking Act, calling it the American, saying the American people don't want some pork barrel bill coming out of Congress 
when we've got real needs of working class families. Mr. Pence is not aware that of the 240,000 people in the cannabis industry, I'm suspecting that a few of them are associated with working class families too. And right now, Mr. Pence is more worried about placating the interests of a variety of so-called conservative voters when in fact he should be focusing on what real Republicans believe in, which is an economic stimulus. And tell me that there is a more opportune moment to decriminalize and legalize cannabis such that it would fill the gap in so many industries, provide so much tax relief for individual uh, communities. And so they're no, they're no fans. So I've not been balanced here. Have I addressed the issue of Mr. Biden? Well, here's, here's the bad Biden stuff. Biden's got a video floating around where he says that he believes cannabis is a gateway drug. I'll offer this. The man's in his mid to late 70s. I don't remember exactly what he was. I don't expect either Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden to be especially progressive on this issue. But the question remains, what is it that Biden could do if he wanted to try and turn the tail back, you know, and change the story on cannabis as president of the United States? Would he do that? Well, he has no resources for that. Has he done anything else that might be, be positive here? Well, I actually did find something positive. And that is that uh, just before he took the nomination, he had an opportunity to meet with a variety of the other candidates that were running for presidency who didn't obviously didn't get the nomination. And one of those was Bernie Sanders. Well, he and Sanders are very big fans of criminal justice reform. I, I am as well. Not just the reformation of our sentencing laws, but more specifically the elimination of the death penalty which we'll hear lots and lots about from me from this microphone over the next several months. But what, what is there good in there in criminal justice reform? Well, Sanders and Biden put together a task force on criminal justice reform, and it was a sizable number of professionals, and a sizable number of those people are outwardly and openly in favor of decriminalizing cannabis and other nonviolent offenses. And so that's a good thing. So even if Biden wanted to come in and argue, oh, well, hey, wait a minute, gateway drug, he's not really going to have a platform for that. And at this point, I, was, I will say one thing I'm very disappointed on, and that is that I, was, I reviewed the Democratic National Committee's placard, their kind of what, what, what they're all about, their new mission statement. And I looked at the various things that they are in favor of, you know, social justice, of course, criminal justice reform, but the one thing that is missing from their platform is decriminalization. And I maybe they're thinking that it's hidden within the criminal justice reform, but to me, I would have felt a little bit better if I had right up front, we need to decriminalize cannabis, we need to legalize it, and, and get rid of all these antiquated laws, including the banking laws. Well, that's a, that's a lot to, to, to digest, but I, I want you to understand this issue as a voting issue, as a wedge issue. It is a wedge issue if it gets you to the polls, because that's the most important thing. If, if you think I'm right, I think you should get out the vote. If you think I'm wrong, you know what? I think you should get out the vote. That's my answer to everything. Uh, and I think what I know to be true is that when you look at a candidate who either supports or doesn't support the modernization of our cannabis laws, it doesn't end up being just about the plant. 
It tells you something else about them. It tells you how progressive they are. How stuck are they in an antiquated structure that was created for false pretenses in the 1970s to harass minorities and to control people? It's, it's, it tells you something if someone is against it. It's not just about the plant. I, I know so many people that are so passionate about cannabis and they don't consume it at all because it's not about that. It's about the opportunities that it provides for us as a country and it's so backwards in its current state. So I'm going to tell you right now that I believe a support for the Biden administration puts him a little bit ahead of the Trump administration on the cannabis question. And if you're voting green, here's the data. So take a look at the Cole memo to go ahead and take a look at the Safe Banking Act. Understand what the Republicans are doing right now to hamstring the advancement of the industry. And I hope you vote on that. I'm continuing to dig and search and research and think, and I want you to do the same. And if you find something interesting you want to share with me, I want you to reach out to me. Check out the website at www.newsmunchies.com. You can find our podcasts, and please subscribe to them at SoundCloud, as well as the video and podcast content we're producing on YouTube. You be safe out there. You've got Ted Corliss with News Munchies. Late at night, when you get the munchies, go to www.newsmunchies.com. This is Ted Corliss. Be well.